Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. That's a God thing. He's got that gift. And I just think that that's beautiful this morning, that God has created us that way. And he's given us all gifts according to his purpose. Now, for those of you that are looking at us this morning saying, yeah, that's right, amen, that's good, that's fine, you've got the same opportunities. And you have the same, maybe not the same gifts, but you have gifts similar that God has enabled you with, that he hasn't enabled anyone else. The book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8, thank you for standing. It says, Jesus Christ, the same. You can say it with me this morning if you want to. Yesterday and today and forever. You may be seated this morning. Lord bless you. There are over 31,000 verses of Scripture in the Bible. There is an excess of 788,000 words from cover to cover. Yet in just a few words in a very small sentence, God conveys to us his everlasting dependability that he does not change. If he healed the blind, then he will still heal the blind today. If he healed the lame, then he's still capable of doing that today. If he healed all manner of sickness and disease, then he will heal all manner of sickness and disease today. God is a healer. But the greatest of all miracles is the miracle of salvation. I want to give you a, 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 I want to bring to you this morning a, a Bible lesson on looking at some of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's the Christmas season. This is not a Christmas lesson, but I find it appropriate in this hour to talk about him. And the impact that he had on us through his teachings that he could not have had if there was not a birth. So because of his birth, which we celebrate in this season, I want to talk about some of the things that he taught us. He was called rabbi, which is a title that the Jews addressed their teachers with to honor them. The four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are packed full of teachings of Jesus, which he always presented to them in what we call parables. Parables is a story that we can understand in order to convey a truth to us. It's an earthly story, but it reveals a universal truth. Uh, It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus gave us these to help us understand His way. In our first passage today, Jesus is attending a feast of the Jews called the Feast of the Tabernacles. We're going to John chapter 7 and verse number 37. It's a solid week 
of joyful celebration where the harvest God had given them in the fields, they would be thankful to Him for that harvest. The Bible says in the last day, that's the eighth day of the eating and drinking, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, somebody say thirst. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. You've got to understand something. At this point, this is the last day of the feast. They've been doing nothing but eating and drinking. Now, I love to eat. I know that's a shocker. And I know you're sitting there saying, wow, I can't tell. But I love a good meal. I'm looking forward to next Wednesday. I'm looking forward to next Thursday. I'll be uh, with, with my family here, uh, my, my, my in-laws. I hate to use the word in-laws. They're my family. But I'll be with my wife's family here uh, on Wednesday, we'll be traveling to Kentucky on Thursday to be with my family there. And uh, I plan on feasting, Brother Terry. I plan on, on having some, some turkey. <clears throat> and I, I might get to massage the menu a little bit here. I'm not sure. But I, I plan on having some noodles and uh, maybe some cheese ball and some pumpkin. Not, not, Lord have mercy, I about sinned. I said pumpkin, but some pecan pie. I don't like pumpkin pie, sorry. I, I plan on having some, some, some dumplings in Kentucky because we don't call them noodles there. Uh, I, I plan on enjoying myself. I plan on drinking, Pastor, till my cup is full. But I think you can probably relate this morning that after you've had plate number one, I don't often through the rest of the year, my wife can vouch for this regardless of what I look like, I don't eat seconds. Uh, if I did, <laughs> it'd be a different story. But uh, on special occasions, I, I like to enjoy myself. And uh, you know, they, they say that it takes your brain 20 minutes to know it's full. That's why they tell you not to eat seconds. Because it takes you a while and then you realize the brain finally says, Whoa, Bubba, that's enough. Well, on special occasions, I usually eat till my belly tells me I'm full. And then 20 minutes later, my brain is beating me. What were you thinking? And I'm in pain and I'm stuffed and I'm hurting, but oh, it felt so good. Right? Somebody can witness to that this morning. So I plan on making myself miserable next Wednesday and Thursday because the new year is coming, okay? That's my justification and my story. I'm sticking with it. But after you've had plate number one and after you've had plate number two, and I'm not going to go any past any numbers like that because it's none of your business, but then after you have dessert and after you've drank your colas and whatever special drink that you like to have, we have non-alcoholic eggnog, and you've enjoyed yourself till you're full, you really don't want anything else. I, I, there will be a time, Brother Josh, on Wednesday that there's not a drink I am interested in. It may only last for a couple of hours, but there's going to be a time in the day that I'm not going to want anything to drink and I'm not going to want anything to eat. I'm going to be full to the gills. That's the plan. The feast of the tabernacles. 
They've done nothing but eat and drink all week. And they're on the last day. Now, I plan on doing it for two days. I can't imagine eight. But they're on the last day of the feast. They've done nothing but celebrate. They've done nothing but pay gratitude to God and celebrate with eating and drinking that He has given them harvest. And Jesus comes in on the last day, the day that they should be so stuffed, that they should be so sick of eating and they should be so sick of drinking. Jesus comes in and says, Are you thirsty? Now, one would think the obvious answer is no. But if we look very carefully at what he is referring to, he is letting them know that now they have had the natural meat. That now they have been full with the natural drink. Now he's coming in at a moment when they're no longer interested in their beverage. And he is letting them know that if you are still thirsty today, that I've got a drink for you that will last you from now until eternity. And if you're thirsty, all you have to do is come to me. Jesus is seizing an opportunity in this lesson to tell them that there is a drink that is greater than that which is in your cup. It's a spiritual drink. Jesus says, I've got what you're looking for. Verse number 38, he continues and says, He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said. That's a very important statement right there. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said. Everybody say, as the scripture hath said. If you're truly going to believe in Jesus, it must be as the Scripture has said. As the Bible says. Uh, not what man says. Now man is the oracle of God, the voice of God for us. But if the man or woman you're listening to is not speaking what God would say, then that is not the voice of God. That is the voice of a man. Every Christmas and Easter season, the network stations like Discovery, National Geographic and the like put specials up and they title them with lofty titles such as Who is Jesus? And they question the validity of the Bible. They bring up supposed historical facts that try to disprove the deity of Jesus Christ. Scientists try to disprove the Bible with their observations that have no foundation. Philosophers offer their own personal theories questioning the faith of Christianity. Intellectuals question the authenticity of the Word of God. The Bible even warns us of this. It tells us in Colossians chapter 2 and 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments, those are teachings of the world, and not after Christ. In other words, don't let anything or anybody take you away from Christ. And here's why. For verse number 9 says, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of deity. He is God. The fullness of God is in Christ. 
That's why Jesus said in John 7, 38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said. We must believe on him as the Bible says. What else does the scripture say about Jesus Christ? It tells us that he is Emmanuel, fitting for this season, God with us. It tells us that Jesus is the Father. Jesus revealed that when speaking to the disciples. When he asked them the question, who am I? And he revealed unto them that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus reveals that he is the I am that was spoken of in the Old Testament. So we see that Jesus is God in Christ. So now we're learning that we must believe on Jesus as the scripture hath said. It doesn't matter what anybody else has. It, it, it honestly doesn't matter, and let me, let me be as, as forward this morning to say it this way uh, because uh, we need to understand this very clearly. It, it doesn't matter what your family says. Blood relation does not negate the Word of God. I, I have plenty of personal family who, who do not believe on Jesus as the Scripture says. So, well, well, you're judging. No, I, I'm letting the Word of God judge. And if our actions and behaviors, behaviors are not in alignment with the Word of God, then the Word of God is the automatic judge. It doesn't matter what anybody, it doesn't matter what my friends think. It doesn't matter what my colleagues at work think. You and I cannot afford this morning to allow other people to persuade you away from what the Word of God says. That's why we, we often say it's so important that you need to understand what you believe. And if you don't understand what you believe, that's okay. The first step to getting there is, is, is admitting it. So I don't understand. That's fine. Let's dig in. Let's dig in together because it's important to understand what the Word of God says. And believing on Jesus, as the Scripture says, provides us with great revelation. It provides us with insight into the Word of God that you could read and otherwise not get because you have not yet believed. When we believe on Him, as the Bible declares, it describes Jesus Christ this way in John 1 and 1. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was the plan of God, and God was the plan. The Word was God, and God was the Word. Amen. Somebody shout amen. amen. And then we go continually down in that chapter, and we land on verse number 14, and it continues and says, The Word, which we've established was God, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten, or born, of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we've got to believe on Him as the Scripture said. There are many scriptures that declare Jesus Christ. John chapter 4, Jesus is the giver of living water and you never thirst again. Matthew 16, Jesus is the rock that we build our life on and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. In Revelations 1, chapter 1 and chapter 22, Jesus is the first and he is the last. In John chapter 18, Jesus is the I am. In Matthew chapter 2, Jesus is the king. In John chapter 10, Jesus is the shepherd. In Jude chapter 1 and many others, Jesus is our redeemer and our savior. In John chapter 1 verse 10, Jesus is the creator. 
He said in one place that he was before Abraham. How else could earthly, fleshly Jesus be before Abraham if he not be God? We go back to John chapter 7 and verse number 38 and we finish the scripture we started. It says, He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow. Everybody say flow. We sang about it this morning. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Not only is he going to quench your thirst, but that thirst quenching flow of the Holy Ghost will flow out of you. Amen. So God never intended for salvation just to be a, a, an experience just for you and you bottle it up and you keep it all to yourself, but God wants His holy salvation in our life to flow out of us. That way that river can impact somebody else. When you get in the river, you get wet. And if you're standing next to someone and they're wet, it's likely you're going to get wet too. Out of your innermost being will flow, will come, will arise, will burst forth rivers. This is spiritually speaking now. Rivers of living water. What is this parable of living water all about? Jesus said, when you believe on me, as the scripture said, you shall experience a flow that will start in your innermost man and spring out of you. It may be in, in, in the reflection of joy. It may be happiness. Some type of life change. It's something that is affecting you because of your salvation. When I came to God and woke up the next morning after having repented the night before, I was not the same person I was the, the day before. It's a change. Verse number 39 in John chapter 7 says, But this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But he is given a preliminary glimpse into Acts chapter 2. That, 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 that flow out of your innermost being is the Spirit of God, which we know as the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, everyone that believes on him, as the scripture says, shall experience the Holy Ghost surging from their innermost being so strong that it would spring forth, it would flow out, and show itself from the inside out. The Bible teaches us that speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost. It's the evidence. So that which is on the inside springs out it flows out of your belly shall flow that is the spirit of God somebody say thank you Jesus the greatest teachings of Jesus Christ was about miracles salvation things that he performed in a life found in John chapter 3 verse number 1 says there was a, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Pharisees who were a strong practicing Judaism group leading the Jews in temple worship. They were religious leaders. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was well versed in scripture. 
But the religion was full of empty rhetoric, and it was actually full, we know, uh, in looking at Pharisees through the, the lens of the Word of God, it was full of a lot of hypocrisy because they, they went to the letter of the law only. Some perhaps may have been sincere, but for the most part, the Pharisees hated Jesus Christ. And he had called them hypocrites. Uh, he had called them vipers. How would you like for somebody to get out of my face, you snake? He, he called them out on it, so they didn't like him. They hated him. But Nicodemus was a sincere-hearted man. And the Bible tells us in verse number 2, the same came to Jesus by night. He was sincere, but he was also a chicken. So he went at dark, that way no one else would see him. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. In essence, he's saying, I believe in you. Not sure I want everybody else to know it. But I believe in you. And Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we must first understand this morning that Nicodemus and all of the Jews based, and I can go as far as saying still modern day, true practicing Jews still today do the same thing. They base their entire religious experience and their salvation on one doctrine. And that doctrine is and was that they are the children of Abraham. Everything they stand for is that they are the children of Abraham. Just because they were born a Jew and kept the law of Moses in the Old Testament, that in itself constitutes to them eternal salvation. So Jesus just rocked their world completely and took everything away from Nicodemus that he already believed by telling him, you can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Nicodemus doesn't even know what born again even means. He thinks because he has Abraham in his blood that everything's okay. Being born again was a phrase that had never been heard before. Verse number 4, Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? The only birth experience he understood was natural birth. But Jesus continued and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus understood water. He understood baptism because they had a laver of water in the Old Testament. He understood the teachings of the tabernacle. So the washing part of it was easy for him to understand. Uh, John the Baptist had been baptizing in the River Jordan, and the baptism of practice was something that he was very, very aware of, so that was not a stranger to him. But the born-again portion of the Spirit was something that Nicodemus, again, struggled with. He, he shouldn't have been, uh, as, as we'll see, but this was still his hang-up. Verse number 6 says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And that was easy to understand. 
The Word of God is describing to Nicodemus that there is a plan beyond what you already know. And it becomes our duty today to explain to this present day generation that there is a plan of salvation for man. It may not be the plan that they've heard. But there is a plan. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse number 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. One of the most beautiful things about the word adoption is when you are adopted, you are selected on purpose. It's, it's not, uh, it's, it's different because someone saw you first and then made a choice to take. If we go back to John chapter 3 and see Jesus deal with the very same thing, remember Nicodemus had come to Jesus declaring that he believed in him, but now he's having doubts. Nicodemus is backtracking and not sure about what Jesus is telling him about being born again. So Jesus says in John 3 verse 7, he says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Don't let this stump you. He says, the wind bloweth wherever it listeth. That just means wherever it pleases. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh, or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Everyone that is born of the Spirit is going to have the kind of experience this parable is teaching. And Jesus had already said earlier that unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Of God. Jesus said that. Not me. Jesus said, if you're not born of the water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What he is trying to get across to Nicodemus, because again, Nicodemus's family heritage is I am a child of Abraham, therefore I'm saved. Jesus is telling him, and he's not as delicate about it as we are. He is telling him in a very forward, black and white manner, you're not saved. Now, what I want us to take out of that this morning is what you have been taught in the past only matters if it's in alignment with the Word of God. And if it is not in alignment with the Word of God, I don't care who taught it. doesn't matter if they've got enough degrees to make a thermometer. If, it, if it's not from the Word of God, it's not salvation related. Jesus is speaking and says you must be born again, water of the Spirit. So Nicodemus answers him in verse number 9 and says, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that 
we do know and testify that we have seen and received not our witness. If I have told you the earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus is speaking of himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, understand, we cannot take that verse in a vacuum as some do, and say, all you've got to do is believe. I can lay myself down in the driveway and believe I'm a Porsche, and it don't happen. I can lay my head on my pillow at night and say I believe in Santa Claus, but he's not coming. My point is, believing, although it's necessary for faith, believing is not salvation. Because if we were to talk of politics this morning, you believe one thing, you believe another, I believe something else. If we talk food choices this morning, you believe something tastes good, I don't. There's plenty of things I can assure you that I think taste good that I know you don't. All right? So believing isn't the settlement. So we cannot exclude the verses prior to this that says you must be born again. But how are you going to be born again? Believing. They are connected, but they are not solo. They are not singular in and of themselves. And this leads us up to a very popular verse that it also gets taken out of context. But this is where we find, for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. How is the world saved? Through obedience to His Word. And what does His Word say? If we believe on Him as the Scripture hath said, out of His belly shall flow rivers of living water, that living water is the spirit of the living God. That is the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. So it's, it's all connected from one book, one verse, to the other book, another verse. That the salvation plan for man, how, that you must be born again. Jesus said you must be born again. That salvation plan is water baptism and Holy Ghost. Without that, and of course you've got to repent, but without those three things, without the salvation plan of God that Jesus is giving us a precursor to in the book of John, without the salvation plan of God that we are not saved. And if we are not saved according to that plan, Jesus speaking, you will not enter the kingdom so it's important today. He didn't come to condemn. I'm not trying to condemn anyone this morning. There's a difference in condemnation and conviction. In conviction, you will feel guilty. 
But in condemnation, someone's telling you you're dirty. There's a difference. Jesus said, He that believeth on him is not condemned. Believing, is, believing in Jesus is the first step to being saved. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse number 19 provides further revelation and says, And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. It's Jesus. Salvation. And men love darkness rather than light. Now, that statement is not just good 2,000 years ago. I would dare say today that that statement is more alive today perhaps than it was then. Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. It's like taking a board that's been lying on the ground for a long time and you turn it over and when you do, it's got all those worms and bugs and stuff growing underneath there. And when light shines on them, they go digging back down in the mud and they're trying to escape and get away as much as they can. People scurry off away from truth because they don't like the light. Because when the light shines brightly, it hits bugs. When the light shines in our life bright enough, it hits sin. It hits things that we're not doing correctly. That, ladies and gentlemen, let, let me tell you, that's why we come to church. To put ourselves in the light so we can see what is our shadow casting. What do I need to change? If I truly want to be saved, because salvation is not a one-stop shop. You don't fill the tank up and you have gas for eternity. I need to be saved present tense. But I also need to be saved future tense. And the only way to get there is for me to continually make sure I'm saved. And that's through a, re a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, I want to love Him. I want to adore Him. I want to worship Him. I want to praise Him. And I want to draw closer to Him. And in drawing closer to Him, I develop a fondness of His Word and of His Spirit and of His presence in my life. That way when He speaks and He says, Hey, Mason, I see some bugs. That I don't get mad at him and scurry off because he's shining light. I'm close enough to him to say, okay, God, I'm sorry. That's why we come to church. We don't come to church because we're perfect. I come to church because I'm not, and I serve a perfect God, and I need to clean up a little bit more every day of my life. The people, the people who say, uh, I'm not good enough to come to church, they've got it all wrong. I'm not good enough to stay away from church. Whew. Oh, hallelujah. The teachings of Jesus are what saves us. People in the world 
They don't come to church. They don't like to hear the word preached. They don't want light because it exposes them. But in verse number 21, Jesus says, But he that doeth truth, everyone say truth. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest. That's what we just talked about. That they are wrought in God. I want to close with this thought this morning. We often, often, and I think it's just natural human behavior, but we often talk of evil and good. Uh, Good versus evil, evil versus good. Good outweighs the bad, whatever. Uh, And and not that there's anything wrong with all of that, but I want you to take away something this morning that, that the opposite of evil is not good. And we hear that a lot. We, we see it uh, on, on commercials. We, we see it in movies. And, and people develop storylines based on good versus evil. And, and, it, and it gets in our minds, and we, we get this mentality that, that those are the two polar opposites. You've got good, and then opposite of good is evil. But the opposite of evil is not good. The opposite of evil is truth. And the reason why I say that this morning is because there's a lot of people in the world that do good. But they're not doing truth. They give to the poor. They feed the hungry. They build homes for the homeless. They care for the helpless. But absolutely none of that, as good as it is, None of that will save you. You must come to the light. Our sins must be revealed. And then we repent. And following repentance is water and spirit. Would you stand with me this morning? So much more to salvation than just believing. So much more. Believing is only a fragment of our salvation. You can't repent if you don't believe. But believing is not repentance. So we believe. We repent. We go into a baptismal tank. Water baptism. That, if you're born again of the water and of the Spirit. And when you're born of the Spirit, out of your belly shall flow. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning in such a sweet, sweet way. I wonder if you'd just lift your hands for a moment. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.